Teddy Roosevelt was the 26th president of the United States. He also had a daughter named Alice. One day he was attending to matters of state in his Oval Office. He's working and Alice kept coming in and interrupting. And the guy that Roosevelt was working with, he said, Mr. President, can't you control Alice? And this is his quote. I can either run the country or I can control Alice. But I cannot possibly expect, be expected to do both. Sometimes disciplining our kids seems like this uh, presidential proportioned uh, task that we've been given. And we live in a world where it seems as if uh, parenting is harder and harder, discipline is harder and harder, and kids are running amok. We hear it from um, teachers and law enforcement that uh, kids have lost respect for parents, peers, and property. Now let me read to you a quote. I'm going to put it on the screen and then I'm going to see if you know who said it. The children today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love mischief in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their household. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, speak when not spoken to, gobble their food at the table, and tyrannize their teachers. Any guesses who said that? Hmm, Socrates, 400 B.C. So, for about 2,500 years, uh, people have been complaining about kids. It's really funny. You read that and it's like, well, that sounds like today. And so, today we're going to talk about this, this notion of helping our kids become disciples. Because if you look at the word discipline and disciple next to each other, they're very similar. Now, let me give you a warning. Much of what you hear during this series will run contrary to what current teaching of our society. It's really important to understand something. We live by biblical principles, and these are the principles that we are using to guide our parenting. Number one, the Bible is our guide. Number two, the, the Christian home is marriage-centered, not child-centered. And three, the primary responsibility of Christian parents is to train their children to love God and be obedient to Him. And so, with that understanding, we're kind of looking at certain verses today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there. We're going to be looking at the first three or four verses of Ephesians chapter 6. But let's turn to a verse in Proverbs. If you've been here any at all, we've looked at this verse. This is the third week in a row. I can't kind of get off of it because it's just so relevant to what we're talking about. The Lord corrects those He loves just as parents correct the child they delight in. And so there's this, this notion that if you love, you don't discipline. Love is positive and discipline is negative. And, and yet Scripture tells us that the Lord corrects the people, you and me, the ones that He loves. And frankly, discipline leads to freedom. It's a little counterintuitive, but let's think about it just for a second. If I'm disciplined with my money, then I don't have to worry uh, with debt. If I'm disciplined with diet and exercise, I don't have to worry as much with my health. If I'm disciplined with my words, I don't have to worry about hurting someone's feelings. And so today we're going to talk about how this notion of disciplining our kids will help them be free. 
Because someday, we, someday they're going to be in the position that all of us are in, and that is somebody has authority over them. Uh, if you have a job, police officer, somebody has authority over us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What do we do? How do we discipline our kids? So we're in this series. This is the fifth of a six-part series. Next week will be more fun. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, disciplining our kids isn't one of those things that I particularly like to talk about. However, I do think it's something that we all kind of need. And so we're just kind of going to give a little primer on this is what it looks like. Because if we delight in our children, we will discipline just as God disciplines us because He loves us. So the Bible says this, direct your children onto the right path. When my daughters, I have four, uh, when my oldest daughter, who is now 30, when she turned about 12 or 13, she came home and she said, Mom and Dad, I want some lucky jeans. Lucky jeans cost $9,000 a pair. She's lucky to have jeans, honestly. Uh, she wasn't going to get no lucky jeans. There's no way we we're going to do that for her. And so we had to kind of think of a strategy. What can we do to teach her the value? Because for her, she's not working. She's 12 or 13 years old. It's not like she's in a job earning money. But she needed to understand that money, there's only a certain amount of it, and you can spend it, but if you spend it all on lucky jeans, you don't have anything left. So this is what we did. We came up with a strategy to help her learn how to handle money. And so we did this with all our kids. We said, okay, well, now here is your allowance. If you make good grades, if you, you know, uh, do your chores, this is what you get every month. From this little pocket of money, this little pool of money, then you can, you can uh, pay for entertainment, you can buy your own clothes. We always had the veto power on that, by the way. Like, we weren't going to wear Daisy Dukes. Uh, so uh, there was some stuff that we weren't going to allow. But, but we did. You, you can, for the most part, pick what you're going to wear and pay for it. And so then all of a sudden, money became tangible. It became something that they could think about. Oh, lucky jeans cost $5,000 or whatever it was. It was was like $100. Lucky jeans cost a lot of money, and I would have to say for a long time to get lucky jeans, maybe I can wear something not lucky jeans. And, And again, discipline and disciple, we're trying to teach our kids What's best? And so children need boundaries. We, we all need them. Uh, I was driving in a mountain, uh, kind of on a mountain road once, and it was really tight. And I'm, I'm going up the road, and I'm on the outside. So there's a ravine on this side, you know, the right of my car. And, and I'm in a curve, and I come to the curve, and I, I meet a bus. <laughs> And I don't know if you know about buses, but they're big, uh, and they take up a lot of the road. And in curves, they take up a lot of the road. And, and I'm, I'm really scared. Sometimes you're kind of scared. This was, I'm driving and somebody's veering in my lane and they don't act like they see me kind of scared. So you're trying to figure out if that happens, you know, you're trying to figure, do I take the ditch? Well, I didn't have that option because the ditch was a ravine and it was way down. And here's what I know about cars and buses. If cars and buses collide, cars lose. And so I've got my wife and my kids, and I got over as far as I could. And it was a rental car. I wish there were guardrails. You know, I'd have just leaned in, man, you know. But I'm trying to to not go off of the edge. And in life, there's a lot of 
just trying to not go over the edge. And there's security and limits, and we all kind of know that. We sort of all know this, is, this helps me be secure. And so, parents, we have to teach our kids to respect authority. I'm going to lay something kind of heavy on you, especially dads. Your children, especially when they're really small, identify their parents with God, especially dads. So, we have the responsibility of, as God's ambassadors to teach our kids that there's this, there are two predominant natures of God. God is unfalteringly loving. He loves us. No matter what we do, He loves us. But He's also unwaveringly just. If we just love and don't discipline, then our kids get a, a false idea of, well, there's never going to be an accounting of what I do. If we're harsh and we only talk about accounting, then they're not going to understand God's love. He gives it to us. He, he, he lives with us in equal proportions. Vastly loving. Also, He has justice. And so we, as parents, our job is to teach our kids this dual nature of God. He's loving, but He's also just. So in Ephesians, our text for the day, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. To obey, you could get kids to do that because you're bigger than they are. You can intimidate somebody into obedience. Uh, you're bigger, you're badder, I mean, for a while at least. When I was, I can't remember exactly how old I was. My, it might have been about 14 or 15 years old. My dad and I got into a wrestling match. And if you're a dad of sons, that's what you do. And so my dad was wrestling and we were wrestling and, and I almost pinned him. And he, he finally got the best of me. And I forget, my dad, I don't know how old he was, 45 maybe when that was happening. And, and so he finally got the best of me. And we were done. And he walks off. And I found out this later. Uh, he tells my mom, I'm never wrestling him again because I'm pretty sure I can't beat him again. <laughs> so at some point, you're not bigger or badder. But early on, you can make your kids obey because you're bigger and badder than they are. It's just how it works. But now, honor is completely different. Honor is about attitude, and it's the harder of the two. I can make you obey. I can't make you honor me. So part of the challenge of disciplining our kids is to do it in such a way where we're still honorable. Well, let, let's talk about it. How to exercise discipline. Number one, you have to be certain of your motives, and this is really the hiccup on a lot of it. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It is possible to discipline out of anger. It's possible to discipline out of feeling disrespected or humiliated or betrayed. I'm guilty of that. I mean, I've done that. Now, my kids are preacher's kids, and by default, that means they're perfect. So I didn't know if you do that, but that's kind of common knowledge. Preacher's kids are perfect. 
Um, I have, I told you, four daughters, and my youngest is Elise, and she's 17. And a couple of years ago, she forgot she was perfect. And so we were at a ball game, and she's, she plays a bunch of sports, and we were at a ball game, and I went up to talk to her after the game, and she was with her friends. And if you've ever been around teenage girls, I'm sorry, uh, uh, and, and there they were in their little cluster of girlness, and Daddy used to warn me, bad company corrupts good character. There's my perfect kid with these other people. And uh, uh, none of them were preacher's kids. Perfect kid, not preacher kids. And so I said something to her, and she sassed me. Now, I'm older. When, when I was young, if one of the other girls had done that to me, I would have just, just kind of corrected them in front of everybody. But I didn't want to do that. I mean, that would have made me feel good. I would have liked that. I would have really liked that. In fact, I think about it today and I wish I had done it. Uh, I really would have liked that. Except, I didn't want her sassing me in front of people. Well, guess what? I shouldn't sass her in front of people. So I, I took her arm and I pulled her aside and I said, Honey, you're not going to talk to me or your mother that way in front of people, or, or ever. And that was it. She's back to being perfect. Uh, she, she, was, she only had a glitch, only for just a second. Some people are teaching that the home is a democracy, but that's really not what Scripture says. We're a benevolent dictator as parents. You know what a benevolent dictator does? Number one, they have the other person's best interest at heart. It's not just being a tyrant, it's having somebody else's best interest at heart. And then you ask, and you listen, and then you make the decisions. It's, it's not democracy. And so we, we have to be certain of our motives. Am I doing this based on love? Just to be honest with you, sometimes the best parenting move when you feel like you need to discipline is to say, I'm going to call a timeout for myself so I can gather myself. So I won't discipline out of anger. Because really, you don't want to do that. You should discipline. I'm not saying never discipline. I'm just saying sometimes you might have to catch your breath. And then, you look, they're going to be there. Come back and discipline later. The second thing is this. Be confident. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. This is God's plan for us. He has delegated authority to parents. And your children need to know that somebody's looking out for them. I had a great dad. I loved my dad. He was by far not perfect. Uh, he's been, he passed away 20-something years ago. I miss him. I still miss him. He, I still think of things he said. But Daddy had certain rules. When I lived at the house, I had rules. There were rules. And one of his rules was... At first it was 11 o'clock, and then when I got a little older, uh, uh, curfew was 12 o'clock, midnight. you got to be in by midnight. <laughs> I'm like, by the way, never argue with your kids. If your kids really wanted to know, uh, they would agree with you sometimes. You know. Uh, so I said, well, Daddy, everybody else is out. And Dad gave me the great dad line of, well, I'm not everybody else's Daddy. You know, uh, if they would, if they were, they'd all be home by midnight. And then he gave me a reason which proved to me he cared about me. He said, look, son, after midnight, if something happens and you're out, you're a suspect. I'm like, 
Okay, well, that's logical to me. He said, also, if it's after midnight, bad things happen after midnight. Lots of bad things. You might be a victim. So at some point, he's saying to me, all right, I'm taking, I, I want you, I have your best interest at heart. I need you home because I don't want you to get in trouble and I don't want you to get hurt. Well, who doesn't want somebody to take, them, take care of them that way? Tom Rainer wrote a book called The Bridger Generation, and in it he quotes a 14-year-old boy who'd been given kind of free reign by his parents. And, and, and kids are like, oh, that's perfect, you know, no rules. This is what the kid says. You guys don't understand. I really want my parents to give me some rules. Sometimes I wonder if they really care about me at all because they don't set any boundaries for me. Kids need to know they're protected. And again, you, you don't argue with them. There's really no reason to argue. You just give a logical explanation. Sometimes the most logical explanation is this: I just because I say so. This is what we're going to do. You don't say, hey, how about picking up your toys? Because that implies there's a choice. You just say, pick up your toys. You don't say, let's pick up your toys, because that implies you're going to help. Unless you're going to help. Don't bargain with them. If you pick up your toys, you get ice cream. I'm going to make a blanket statement right now. If the deal is picking up toys gets ice cream, give me a call because I'm in. I'll come help you. I'm in on that. I mean, I am, I am down with the ice cream. What we say is, all right, pick up your toys. This is what we do. It's time to pick up your toys. Be concrete with your instruction. Don't say things like, I want you to be good today. Well, what does that mean, I want you to be good today? Say stuff like, um, I want you to sit quietly. I don't want you to uh, kick the pew in front of you. Don't ask to go to the bathroom. My very first church, I was kind of young. I was the pastor. The church building itself was long and narrow. We had a, a center aisle, uh, which was great for weddings. Uh, center aisle, pews on this side. And um, about 25 or 30 sets of pews. And I had a kid every week sat in the second row, every week he would go out to the bathroom during the sermon, without exception, every week. I watched the video of his service the other day. He's 47, and he still does it. Uh, so uh, nobody has taught him any better. We, so Miriam, when the girls, when, when they were in the service with us, she would bring them a busy bag and she would say, you know, here are some colors and here's some stuff and you don't talk and you, let's use the bathroom before we go in. This is all stuff you can do. I, I want to read you this amazing letter. Winston Churchill became the prime minister of England during World War II. A brilliant tactician, great motivator. He was one of the people honestly, that should take, get much credit for winning the war against the Nazis. He, he was fabulous. But when he was 15, he was at a boarding school, and evidently he hadn't done very well in his lessons. So his mom, Jeannie, writes him a letter. And this, I want to read you the letter. I just think it's a brilliant letter. Dearest Winston, I have much to say to you. I'm afraid not of, of a pleasant nature. You know, darling, how I hate to find fault with you, but I can't help myself this time. Your report card, which I enclosed, is, as you can see, a very bad one. 
Your work is such a fitful, inharmonious way. Your father and I are more disappointed than we can say. Dearest Winston, my only consolation is that your conduct is good and that you are an affectionate son, but your work is an insult to your intelligence. (laughs) That is a great line. You know what she's saying? We see your potential. We see it. And then she unlocks it for him. If you would only trace out a plan of action for yourself and carry it out and be determined to do so, I am sure you could accomplish anything you wish. It is that thoughtlessness of yours which is your greatest enemy. We see your potential. If you would do these steps, you can live up to your potential. And then she will say, I will say no more now, but Winston, you're old enough to see how serious this is for you. And now the next year or two and the use of them, uh, the use you make of them will affect your whole life. So stop and think it out for yourself and take a good pull before it's too late. You know, dearest boy, that I am always here to help you any way I can. Your loving but distressed mother. We believe in our kids, and they sometimes don't see their potential. And so she was giving him concrete um, ideas. These are things you can do. Uh, You know, steady yourself and prepare and make a plan and follow through and be determined. That's what you do. This is what we we believe in you. I I love the line where she talks about you're not living up to your potential. Uh, um, your work is an insult to your intellect. I think that's just super. We have to be consistent. This is really important. Maybe the most important aspect of all of this today is consistency because kids need to know how to predict the consequences of their behavior. Without consistency, discipline can be confusing. And so the very next verse in Ephesians says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I don't know why it doesn't say mothers. Uh, Evidently, we're the ones who are most exasperating. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. When our girls were little, we had three uh, kind of in succession, sort of uh, uh, really quickly. I think we had three in about five years, and then Elise came along ten years later. So she, (laughs) we don't count her. Uh, We had, In fact, we heard grandkids were so great, we just cut out the middleman. We had our own. Uh, but we had three, and they were little, and, and Miriam, Miriam was, you know, this is kind of obvious if I've never said it before. It should be obvious. She sort of ran the house. She, she's, I, I agreed with her, and she talked to me about stuff, but she set rules and things. Like, I don't know about stuff. You know, like, she, she had a rule about when they could get their ears pierced. I, I don't remember what it was, but it was something, and... She would say, what do you think about this? It's like, yeah, because, you know, I never got my ears pierced. I don't know. I have no idea when you should do that. Or or when you wear makeup, again, don't know. Uh, So she would set the rules. So it would be at night, and it's about time for bed. And she would say something like, "Uh, girls, it's time to settle down. We're getting ready for bed. She loved it when I would start wrestling with them right after that. (laughs) Oh, the joy it brought my wife. You could see a glow on her face. It was something. She was red. Uh, uh, She would quote this scripture to me, except she changed it a little. Fathers, do not exasperate 
your children's mothers. Uh, so she changed it a little. Well, how fair was it for my kids? She's, they're getting instructed from their mother, settle down. And then their dad is causing them to wrestle. And it's confusing to them, not fair. There are two sort of causes uh, that undermine consistency. One is childcare where the values are markedly different than yours. Nobody's going to treat your kid exactly like you do, but if it's, <laughs> you know, our rule was no dessert before, before you eat all your vegetables. You had to clean your plate. We called it a wow plate. You had to finish everything on your plate. Well, that was our rule. If you take your kid someplace and they say, well, ice cream is first, well, okay, they're going to get mixed signals. So childcare that's different, markedly different, that's not good. And then when there are parenting conflicts, disagreements, it happens in divorce, but it also happens with parents. Like I just gave you an illustration. Miriam said one thing, and I said something else. And that's really not fair to them. So discipline's like a coin. There are kind of two sides to it. The first is instruction. If discipline is leading us to disciples, if we're trying to make kids like us or uh, like God, then we have to instruct them. They need to know what to do. Our goal is for them to learn the difference between right and wrong. We just need that. Now, here's the difference in, in uh, modern psychology and biblical teaching. There's really a big difference here. Modern psychology says everyone is innately good and they have bad behavior, which is learned. Biblical theology says that we have a sin nature that must be mastered. Those aren't the same. We're either innately good or we're innately sinful. And the Bible doesn't really give us any choice here. David writes in Psalm 51, this is a great psalm by the way, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. And I've had four daughters, and they're incredibly sweet. And then they turn two. And I didn't teach them any of that. And Miriam was home with them all day. Have you met my wife? She's great, and she's sweet. And she didn't teach them any of that. There, there is a nature within us. I, I mean, why is our nature to do the wrong thing? I, I was at... Uh, I was at a, a, a big box store uh, this weekend on Friday. I was trying to purchase something. Uh, the register kind of malfunctioned. And, and so I, I signaled the lady to come help me because we all evidently work for that company. Uh, we all have to check our own stuff out. Remember when... Remember back in the day uh, where you put somebody on a conveyor, put stuff on a conveyor and they'd check it out for you and they were nice and pleasant and they'd take your money. It's great. All right, so now you do it yourself. And I was doing it myself and it, it kind of crashed. And I signaled the lady and she came over. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The quote out of her mouth was, I don't know anything about computers. Huh. Well, then we're at a standstill, aren't we? I mean, we're kind of, this isn't going to be good for anybody. And, and so I'm looking at the screen and I'm going, well, there's an X there. Why don't we, why don't we try that? Yeah, let's do that. It's like, okay. Uh, so we did the X. Well, my temptation is to say, why do you even work here? You know, uh, what is your, who put you here? I want to go talk to somebody that put you here. You're obviously not on the right seat on the bus. You could probably change oil. You look like you look kind of oily. Uh, maybe that's your thing. Well, let's let's see if that that's your thing. 
you could probably uh, give flu shots. I mean, you know, it's all good. You could do something else. Well, this is our, this is our nature, right? I, I was so proud of myself. Uh, I, I, I bit my tongue. I didn't say anything snarky except to you. Uh, really, I feel so good about it. And, and I'm sure uh, the, the angels are rejoicing in heaven that I was so nice. But this, it's, that, it's, that, it's that big debate. Is it nature or nurture? Is it nature or nurture? Are, are we sinful because uh, of nurturing or because of nature? Well, I, I, have the, I know the answer. Because we have a sin nature, we need to be biblically nurtured. We, we have a nature that causes us to sin. And in uh, Proverbs 29, it says, To discipline and reprimand a child produces wisdom because we have a sin nature. But a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Children must be taught. Our, my girls had to be taught. There's a difference between hitting your sister with a pillow and hitting her with a two-by-four. Those aren't the same things. We need instruction. The other side of, of discipline is punishment. It's instruction, but we also have to punish. The Lord disciplines those He loves. It's really important to understand that. The Lord disciplines those He loves. There's a guy by the name of John Rosemond. I'm going to suggest to you a couple of his books. Parenting by the Book is excellent. I've read it several times. He has a new book out called The Bible Parenting Code. I, don't, I haven't read that, so I can't personally recommend it, but I do say if the other one was really good, that one's probably, it's just newer and probably pretty good. Now here's the deal. We don't express real love for our kids if we're not disciplining them. Now, nobody likes discipline. Look at what God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. I don't think I've ever been disciplined and thought, wow, this is great. Thanks, Dad, for, for you know, grounding me, or thanks for this, or thanks for taking this privilege away. I don't think I've ever enjoyed any of that. But we all know part of life is you, you go through some pain for an, a, a, a bigger gain. You go through some pain to get a bigger ultimate gain. And so you put braces on your teeth. You don't like that. Nobody likes putting braces on their teeth. Nobody's ever said, Daddy, I'd like to have braces. But you, you put braces on your kids' teeth so that someday when they come off, they'll have a, you know, a, a straight smile and it'll be different. And we do that. And, and I mentioned last week uh, about an accident. My, my daughters and I were in an accident. And, and my daughter Mallory was three years old. And in the accident, uh, her spleen was torn and her large intestine was torn. And uh, so the impact, we, uh, I was in a head-on collision, and the impact was so great that it, it ripped uh, parts of her insides. Well, you can't live with the seepage of your large intestine into your body. And so they, they did surgery, and they sealed it up. In fact, what's really cool about that, it's a God thing, if she hadn't had a ruptured spleen, they probably wouldn't have gone in and they would have never found the large intestine. So while they were in there with the spleen, they noticed the large intestine was also torn. When your body has toxins, your white blood cell count goes up and they start attacking the, those top toxins. The way you know if your white blood cells are up is by taking a blood sample. So three or four times a day, they would want to take a blood sample from my three-year-old daughter. 
my little daughter in a big hospital bed three or four times a day. A nurse would come in, and every time the nurse put her head in the door, Mallory would cry. And she would wail. And it took everything within us to let her have her blood drawn. But if she didn't, she could die. So not only did we let them take her blood, we held her down while they took her blood. There was pain for an ultimate gain. For five days in a row, her white blood cell count was elevated. The doctors, the surgeons were talking about, hey, we're going to have to go back in. If it was bad the first time, you can imagine what the second time would be. And God's miraculous hand of healing was on her. And they were going to go in the next day, and the next day they checked her blood, and her white blood cell count had dropped. And, and she was okay. We didn't have to do the second surgery. But we go through pain for an ultimate gain. We discipline even though, look, discipline isn't any fun for the one being disciplined. And honestly, it's not any fun for us either. If you're the discipliner, that's not any fun. But our kids need to understand that there is authority and leverage people put on us in life. Police officers have leverage over us. They can invoke a fine. They can threaten jail. Teachers have leverage. They can expel, lower a grade. If you play a sport, referees have leverage. They can call a foul. They can eject you from a game. If you get a job and you have an employer, they have leverage. They can, they can dock your pay. They can give you a pink slip. They can fire you. So parents need leverage too. So let's talk about leverage that parents can use to discipline their kids. One are timeouts. Timeouts are cool. Uh, a kid throws a tantrum or does something that you don't want them to do, that they know they shouldn't do. Then you sit them in a corner or you uh, put them in the you know, playpen or whatever, and, and you tell them, you kind of are showing them, there are, uh, if, you have, uh, if you disobey, there are negative consequences. Because that's really important. That's a life lesson we all need. When I disobey, when I do bad things, there are consequences. Slapping the hand is another one. Um, that's like a little tap on the hand. Doesn't really, really hurt. Miriam does that when I'm re reaching for the cookies. Uh, it happens sometimes. Let me do the most controversial one now, spanking. Let me show you a verse and then let me explain it real quick. Folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Uh, I grew up with spare the rod and spoil the child. I can count on one hand the number of times I've spanked any of my kids. I can only honestly remember once. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, had a paddle with an inscription, I need thee every hour. Uh, so... <laughs> so I grew up a little different uh, than my girls. Some folks shouldn't spank, honestly. If they are out of control, if they do it in anger, uh, abusing a, a child is always wrong. And I don't believe spanking is some magic remedy. But when it says rod here, the rod of discipline, we get in our minds, well, that means a stick or a paddle or something like that. 
Honestly, literally, it means when you, uh, uh, when you have a means of discipline. It could be anything. It could be any means. Of, it doesn't have to be a stick or a switch. Uh, we had a willow tree in my backyard. Not good. Uh, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that. In fact, the, the rod language in Scripture literally means a symbol of authority like a king's scepter. It was a rod of measure to measure content that was consistent. It also, a rod was literally means uh, in Scripture, uh, it was used to separate the grain from the chaff. It was used to herd domestic animals. So figuratively, it symbolizes authority, legitimate authority. Uh, we are, who use discipline are to make certain things are consistent and true, separating right from wrong and establishing boundaries. It's important not to wimp out on discipline. I talked about my mom. My mom uh, texted me yesterday and she said, I see you're going to talk about discipline. Let me remind you of something. You're like, oh my, okay, okay. Uh, do I want to, you know, I don't know that I want to remember. And she reminded me, she said, one time I spanked you and you looked up at me with, the, with crying eyes and you said, mommy, that hurt you more than it did me, didn't it? I was always good like this. You know, I could always do that stuff. Don't whip out on, on discipline. If your kid articulates, oh, I'm repentance, there are still consequences. I, I saw, we, we saw the 51st Psalm a minute ago, at least one verse. It is a great psalm. David has committed adultery. He has covered it up by murdering uh, this uh, woman's husband. He thinks he's getting away scot-free. He's confronted, and he writes the 51st Psalm. It, it is, if you've ever been caught with your hand in the cookie jar, the 51st Psalm is for you. If you've ever done something so egregious that you think God can't forgive you, the 51st Psalm is for you. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned. It is this beautiful Psalm. David repented of his sin, and he still had to deal with the consequences. And I mean they were long-lasting consequences. He had sons rebel. He had one son die. He, he, he did a, a, he did a f very uh, horrible thing, and he had horrible consequences. Hear your kids out. I heard about a guy, he came home and his four-year-old son had cut big chunks of hair out of his head and he had cut the hair of his two-year-old sister. And the dad, you know, just chunks. So they're going to have to like have a buzz cut. You know, it's just really... And so the dad comes in and he's angry and the little boy said, and the dad's bald, and the little boy said, Daddy, we just wanted to look like you. So they didn't get punished. So there's a lesson. You can still teach. A final one would be, a, a final type of leverage would be loss of privilege. When they get a little older, you, you leverage. You use your leverage. In high school, in senior, when I was a senior in high school, I made all-state choir. I've got some golden pipes. And uh, I don't share it with you because I don't want you to think I can do everything. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> I, I was all-state choir, and then I got in trouble, and I, I didn't get to go. I know, I could have been, been somebody. Uh, you know, uh, 
me and Elvis, but no, it didn't work out for me. It's okay, you know what? When your kid goes to college, uh, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for saying to them, uh, you're going to have to make your grades, so we're not going to finance that. I had somebody tell me one time, there are many college students who have suffered from maltuition. Uh, so sometimes you just don't get what you think you're going to get. In Proverbs it says, remember, the Lord corrects those he's lo- He loves. The Lord corrects those He loves. A prominent child psychologist was asked once, what's his best advice on disciplining? And he said this, the best way to get your, chi- your children to do what you want them to do is to spend time with them so that they can learn to love you. I'm not sure there's better advice to be given. Let me end with this. Effective leaders may disapprove of what you do, but they always approve of you. Effective leaders lead by example. Effective leaders motivate through encouragement and coaching, like we saw in the letter to Churchill. Effective leaders are decisive and willing to make unpopular decisions. And effective leaders stay the course. So parents, let me pray a blessing on you that you would be an effective leader even in disciplining your children. You don't have to like it, but you have to realize you're doing it for gain. There's pain for an ultimate gain. Thank you, Lord, for these parents in this room. For those of us who are leaders, help us to do the things to lead effectively. We pray blessings on each family represented here. Help us to lead and guide in the right way, the the honorable way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.